Hey Life Canton, Roger here, one of the directors, so glad that you're here, whether it's your first time or your hundredth, we're just so thankful that you're supporting us by listening to these messages in this podcast. I want to remind you another way to support not only us, but what God is up to at this church is through our giving. We have a very specific vision of what God is going to do over the next 10 years at Life Canton, which is reclaim our identity in Jesus and bear the torch of Jesus' justice and love to our community. So if you want to support that I would encourage you to take this opportunity to give a financial gift. Uh, You can do this on our Church Center app or on our website. But take that opportunity to support what God is up to. Now this, uh, today, is our last week of our Out of Hiding series, 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 where we've been talking about shame, uh, what it looks like, different kinds of shame, how to get unstuck from it. And this week you're going to hear a message from Pastor John about what a life looks like after shame, uh, what a, how Jesus transforms shame in us. So give that a listen, and I will catch up with you in just a moment. Oh, as you run, what hindered love will only become a part of the story? What does that mean? How does that play out in your life and in mine? Don't those things that hinder love feel like barriers? How can they be a part of your story? How can they be used by God? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to be with you as we unpack God's Word together and continue in our series called Out of Hiding. So we're going to talk about barriers today because barriers are destructive. Barriers can make us feel stuck Barriers can make us feel shame. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but I want to share a story with you of a time where I felt like a barrier. It was back in the day long ago when there was a store that you'd rent movies from called Blockbuster. Does any of you remember getting movies from Blockbuster? Yeah? That was all we had before streaming, so you young people don't really know what this is like, but you would go on a Friday night, you'd look around the store for about an hour until you could decide what you'd want to rent. We do that now, but on our couch in Netflix or whatever we're watching, trying to figure out what should we watch tonight. Uh, But we would go to Blockbuster, we'd look around the whole store, and there were those new movies that came out, and you're like, oh, I want to rent this movie and watch it. But the problem is, they're all checked out, and you can't watch that movie that you wanted. So it wasn't on demand, it wasn't easy to watch like it is now. And so that was me one week, rented a movie, came to bring it back three days later, And this particular Blockbuster had a very narrow driveway between the parking lot and the building. I actually have a picture for you to show you what this looked like. Um, The X is where my car was. This used to be a Blockbuster. Now it's like a dollar store. And this is the parking lot. You see how narrow that is? The reason why that matters is because I was like, I'm going to pull my car up, put on my flashers, and just put the movie in the Dropbox real quick and then be on my way. No problem. So... I get out of my car, I shut the door, and I hear a click-click. I'm like, oh no. My car was running, and the keys were in the car, and the car locked. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And then I looked to my left, and parked right here was a cop car. I was like, oh no, are you kidding? So as I walk in, the two cops are walking out laughing, goofing around, and I told them what happened, and they, they shrugged it off. They're like, no big deal, just get somebody here to bring you another set of keys so you can get in your car and be on your way. Well, the problem was, my parents live about 15 minutes from this blockbuster, and five minutes later, there was about five cars 
behind my car. Ten minutes later, there are about 20 cars. And then the police come out to me, and now they're mad. And they're like, bro, if you don't move your car, we're going to tow it in five minutes. So you better get here. I'm feeling embarrassed. I'm feeling humiliated. I'm feeling shame. I am the barrier in this parking lot that's preventing anyone from going through here. And I'm stuck. And I don't know what to do. And I feel this humiliation. Thankfully, my parents show up in about 12 minutes. They get me my keys. I get out of there sheepishly driving away, embarrassed as everyone's laughing at me and honking and waving. It's not really a big deal in this situation. I felt embarrassed, but these barriers are a big deal when it comes to shame. I believe shame is one of the most destructive barriers that we can ever experience, which is why we spent an entire series talking about the barriers of shame from different angles. And in week one, Roger talked about how we felt shame at the fall when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. They felt the barrier of shame, the shame spiral, the shame cycle. And God never left them. He gave them a new cycle to reclaim their identity in him. That's why shame is so destructive, friends, because it prevents us from living into and reclaiming our identity in Jesus. In week two, Jared talked about shame we receive, things that We don't deserve, but still we feel shame because of it. It's not our fault, but we feel that shame. Week three, Miss Marnie's talked about how God takes the baggage of shame away. Even with the things that we have chosen to do, that we feel shame for, that we feel guilty of, God wants to take that shame away. And last week, Roger talked to us again about how there's no way to get yourself out of shame. The only way is to encounter Jesus, and he will remove that shame from your life. We've gone through this whole series to get to this moment. We've dealt with our shame. We've wrestled with it. We've asked ourselves, who told you that with the shame that we've received, the lies that we've believed? And now it's time to ask ourselves, how do we live beyond shame? Is it possible to live a shame-resilient life where you may experience shame, but you don't let it stick to you? You learn how to live beyond it as you live as an empowered son or daughter of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we overcome the barriers of shame so that we can live beyond it? We're going to look at the woman at the well in John chapter 4 because she shows us three barriers that she overcame by the power of Jesus because of one encounter with him. Let's read this story now. Jesus is on a ministry tour. He's, you know, traveling with his disciples, and this is one of the stops on the journey. It says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sakar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Now, noontime is significant. We'll tell you in a minute why that matters. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So he's at this well at noontime and he encounters this woman. He asks her for a drink. Barrier number one, gender. This was a woman and women did not have rights in that culture. The only rights that they had were by proxy through their husbands or through the men that they were with because they just did not value women. And so here we are a woman who's by herself at noontime, and that's significant as well because we'll find out in a minute how the women in the villages treated her. There was a reason why she was coming at noontime. 
that's not usually when women drew water. So this woman is feeling rejected because she's not drawing water when all the other women do. She's got to come at another time. There's something going on with her story that we need to find out why she feels rejected like this. And there's another piece of this where Jesus, a Jew, is talking to a woman by himself. You notice how it said he was alone. Even the disciples said, why are you talking to a woman alone? They were, they were confused by this, surprised. What was Jesus up to? Why was he talking to this woman? Why was he breaking through this barrier of gender to talk to her? This was kind of risky. This was kind of not allowed in that culture, but Jesus does it anyway. Why? Let's continue in the story. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So she's confused. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are, who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Barrier number two. Oh, sorry. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, he says. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And then he finishes, or she, she responds to him, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. So Jesus is talking about a different kind of water than what they're drawing from the well. And this woman says, I want it. Will you give me this living water? But barrier number two is ethnicity. This is a Samaritan woman. As we find out in verse 9, Jews didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. In fact, last week, Roger talked about this bloody history that was between these two groups of people. They just did not associate with each other. But here is Jesus associating with her. He doesn't avoid her. He actually offers her living water. What is he up to? Let's continue. John chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you are living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. So Jesus is kind of calling her out on her lifestyle. Barrier number three, reputation. This is a woman who has had five husbands. And now we find out why she had to come to the well at noontime. Can you imagine having five spouses and every one of those spouses rejects you and says, I don't want to be with you anymore. I want to move on with my life. Can you imagine the kind of reputation you would have in the village around the town square when everyone's talking about small town gossip, you know, and your name comes up because you're the person that no man wanted when you're this woman at the well. You're the person that no woman wanted to be a friend with. See, all the women came to gather water in the morning when it was still cool. But she was not allowed. She was not welcome to come with them. She had to come at noontime by herself. And so her reputation made her feel rejected. This is the woman that no man wanted. But Jesus doesn't treat her that way, does he? Three barriers. Gender, ethnicity, and reputation. How does Jesus respond to these barriers? Let's keep reading. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She's preaching to Jesus. 
Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. He told me everything I ever did. Barrier number one, gender, broken. Jesus sees her value. Will you give me a drink of water? He gives her dignity, the opportunity to serve him, the opportunity to meet his needs. He says, I need you. Will you give me a drink of water? Barrier number two, ethnicity, broken. Jesus accepts her by offering her salvation. That's what living water is. Jesus says it's this bubbling spring within you that wells up to eternal life. You don't need physical water to give you eternal life because you can only get it from this living water. It's different than what you've experienced before. And so he offers her salvation in the midst of her shame. Barrier number three, reputation broken. Jesus reveals himself, get this, for the very first time as the Messiah in public. He had revealed himself to people in private before this in the Gospel of John, but now here he is sharing that he is the Messiah. I am the Messiah, he says, to this woman with a shady reputation that no one wants to be around. Why would Jesus choose a woman like this? Why would he reveal himself as the Messiah for the first time to this woman? The intention is, I'm going to tell you who I am so that you tell everyone else who I am. Well, isn't that an unreliable witness? Why would he choose someone like that? Let's jump to verse 39 to find out. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. He told me everything I ever did. I don't know about you, but if people find out everything I ever did, I'd be a little embarrassed, wouldn't you? Like, I don't know if I want everyone to know all my stuff, like airing your dirty laundry out. But there was something about the way she said this. She didn't say it with shame. She said it with joy. Because Jesus met her and he busted all of her barriers of shame to accept her for who she was. And so all of her shame is gone. She doesn't have to hide what she's done. She doesn't have to hide who she is. Jesus saw her. He valued her. He took away her shame. And in the tone of her voice, the people in the village could see that something had changed. This was no longer the same woman that they had rejected. She was different. She was changed. From one encounter with Jesus, she's propelled to the other side of shame. And shame is no longer a barrier for her. And the whole village could see her transformation. See, Jesus could have chosen a Jewish man who had a great reputation in the synagogue to be the first messenger of the gospel. But instead, he chooses a Samaritan woman with a shady reputation. Why? Why did he choose her? Jesus chose the woman at the well because she represents all of us, doesn't she? How many times have you felt like your shame disqualifies you? How many times have you felt like those barriers of self-contempt and self-hatred and brokenness in your life hold you back from God using you? 
Friends, this is the very heart of the gospel, the good news that Jesus was using this woman to send to everyone, was that God can use you. God wants to work in your life. You are not too far gone. You are not too broken for him to use you. And the number one barrier that I've discovered in this series as I've talked with people is self-contempt. I hate myself. I am unlovable. I am unlikable. God can't use me. Do you feel that? If that's you, that's a lie. He can use you just like he used this woman at the well. And that is the good news. Because if he can break her barriers, then he can break yours. If he can use her, then he can use you. And that is the message that he's sending us from the woman at the well. And friends, we've spent the whole series breaking through those barriers so that we can see how God sees us. What do we do now? How do we live beyond shame? Let's continue in our story to find out. When they, the people from the village, came to see him, they begged Jesus to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and to believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. So they heard her share, but now they're saying, we've encountered Jesus for ourselves. So we don't just believe because of your testimony. We believe because we've encountered him. But friends, they would not have encountered him if the woman at the well did not share that gospel with them. She did not take the message to them. She became a bridge of hope, a bridge of healing to them. Jesus transforms barriers of shame into bridges of healing. He did it with this woman who had an incredibly broken reputation. He used that very reputation to tell the whole village about the gospel and an entire village was saved because of it. He used the barrier of her reputation as a bridge to healing Carl Jung, who's one of the most influential psychiatrists in history, called people like the woman at the well a wounded healer. This is what he said about this concept. The pains and burdens one bears and eventually overcomes are the source of great wisdom and healing power for others. You see this? The pains and burdens, those places where we feel disqualified, are actually the place that we can have a source of healing for others when we overcome them by the power of God. And that can be a place of healing power for others. What an incredible invitation. What an incredible hope. A wounded healer is allowing God to use your journey of healing as a source of healing for others. You may feel broken still. You may feel incomplete. So do I. We're on this journey of healing. But in the midst of that journey, God wants to use your story as a source of healing for other people. Those places where you feel broken do not disqualify you. They're actually the exact places that God wants to use. About a year ago, David said, hey, John, I want you to talk to this guy who mentored me. And so we met with him on Zoom, and we were talking about discipleship, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, you tell me where you're wounded, and I'll show you where you're called. And I'll never forget that. Because so often we feel like those places that we don't want anyone to know about are things that we have to hide. 
When in fact, that's the place where God wants to shine his light the brightest in your life so that you can be a wounded healer. You can sit across the table from someone and say, I know how you feel. I've been there before. I've felt that brokenness, that shame. And now let me share some hope with you, how I got on the other side of that shame. Let me tell you about my Jesus who can propel you beyond that shame and actually use that as a source of healing for someone else. You see the ripple effect in this. Do you see how the gospel spreads? Do you see why we're in this room right now? Because some wounded healer shared their story with us, and now we get to share it with someone else of how Jesus met us in our brokenness and turned it into a bridge. You can't lead someone where you have not been. You have to go through this, the journey of healing and bring that healing to someone else. I was talking with my wife about this this week, and she was like, she said this phrase, and she's like, you're going to use this in the message, aren't you? And I'm like, yep, I am. She said, we wear these cloaks of shame that feel heavy, that feel like we have to hide. But Jesus takes off our cloak of shame and gives us a cloak of honor instead. And let me tell you how he did that exact same thing for her. When my wife was in high school, she was at a summer camp, and she was in a boating accident. They were inner tubing behind the boat, four inner tubes, and three of the people on the tubes fell off backwards like you normally do. She actually got launched forward into the ropes, and she was dragged underwater for a ways, and she woke up underwater and thought she was drowning. It was a very traumatic experience because they had to put her on a backboard. They thought she might be paralyzed. She was hypothermic, and they were watching her closely that everyone in the camp stopped to, to pray and to see what was happening. It was, it was a moment, it was a couple hours where she was stuck on the backboard and still doesn't like to be in confined spaces. This left a mark on her life. She went away from that weekend and tried to go back to her life, but the problem was when she was at school, she would feel like she's floating on water, like she's uneasy, like she's dizzy, didn't know what was happening. And so she went to the doctor and they tested her for vertigo and all kinds of different things that could try to find out what was going on. They couldn't figure it out. And so finally, someone recommended that she go to a counselor. In the very first session, the counselor diagnosed her with post-traumatic stress disorder. Said, you were traumatized by this experience. This is something that we have to identify your triggers, help you overcome this so that you can live your life and thrive. But this counselor knows that PTSD isn't just a first traumatic experience. It's a second or third or fourth. And so she started investigating more of my wife's story and uncovered some sexual abuse that she didn't realize, that Liz didn't remember was there. And because of this experience, she was able to get healing, not just for her PTSD, but for the sexual abuse that she had in her story as well. She gave me permission to share this, by the way, so I'm not in the doghouse tonight. But um, she was able to kind of leverage that whole story to experience the healing of Christ. And here's what's amazing. is She didn't stop there. She said, I want other people to experience the same kind of healing that I've experienced by going to a counselor, by working through my story. And so she went to school and just recently graduated with her master's in trauma and grief counseling. Yeah, it's an incredible story. So proud of her. And I don't tell you this just to brag on my wife. I tell you this because she's a wounded healer. And now because of her willingness to go into her own hurt, her own brokenness, and allow God to show up, she now can be a source of healing for other people 
as she meets with clients through life coaching and as she helps them work through their brokenness, their sexual abuse, their trauma, and helps them find healing. It's such a powerful thing that we get to do, friends, and that's, you don't have to have a master's degree to do that. God has called all of us to be wounded healers, to use the brokenness in our lives to leverage the wounding and the healing for healing for other people. He's called all of us to be a wounded healer. And as I think about this concept, Romans 8.28 comes to mind. Some of you probably have this memorized. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He uses it all to work together for the good. Do you believe that? Doesn't that give you hope? And no matter what you've been through, he's going to use it for good. And he's not done until it's good. All right? If it doesn't feel good yet, if that part of your story still feels broken, still feels like you don't want to pay attention to it, like it's too hard to look at, he's not done working. Let him keep working until it's good. Because he promises he will work it for good in your life. Amen? Do you have a broken past? Are you ashamed of who you were back then? You're in good company because that was the woman at the well. She was ashamed of her story. She was ashamed of who she was. She was ashamed by what other people said about her. Will you allow God to use your brokenness, your trauma, your wounding, and your shame to bring healing to other people? Will you allow him to heal you? And then you can bring healing to them. Do you feel uneducated or inexperienced? Do you feel like you don't know enough of the Bible? Like you're not a good enough Christian? Well, guess what? James or Peter and John, who Roger talked about last week, these knucklehead disciples uh, didn't know much either. In fact, the Jewish leaders said that they were unschooled, ordinary men. But listen to this. They took note that they had been with Jesus. That's all it takes, friends. You don't need a master's degree. You just need to encounter Jesus and share that encounter with everyone around you and watch how he works through your life. That is the hope of a wounded healer. Do you feel too young? Students, do you feel like you've got to wait till you graduate or wait till you're an adult to have an impact? Are you just new in your career and you're trying to figure things out? You don't feel like you've got your feet under you yet. You're not too young. Scripture says, set an example for the believers in your speech, in your way of life, your love, your faith, and your purity. 1 Timothy 4.12. You are not too young. That is a lie. In fact, let me share a story with you. A couple weeks ago, we had a meet the pastor event where people can come and ask questions, learn about our church. Anyone is welcome to attend these meet the pastor events. And I had the privilege of leading one with France. And I watched this, uh, people streamed in the room, and it's just a beautiful picture of who we are as a church. We had an African-American young woman from Cameroon. We had a Hispanic woman who was there sharing her story. We had a family of a student and his parents, a white family who was there. We had a couple that had just come from India from an arranged marriage, and that's a deep part of Indian culture. And he was a part of our church and went to India to marry his wife and then brought her back, and they had been here for a month. And so I just saw, I looked around and saw this beautiful picture of who we are as a church family. And what was amazing was the teenager in the room raised his hand and said, I just have to make a comment. I'm like, okay, what's he going to say? And he's like, I just have to say that I think it's really beautiful how diverse our church is. This is from a teenager. And, I, and we were like, this is awesome. So I was curious though. I'm like, tell me why that matters to you. And I'll never forget what he said. 
He said, it tells me that my faith is not just for white people, it's for everyone. And I'm like, drop the mic, we're done, moving on, you know, from the mouth of a teenager. And I love it. And I said, everyone just look around the room. Look at this beautiful picture of this family that we have. We as a church want to be a wounded healer. And this teenager showed us how to overcome the barrier of ethnicity, which so often keeps us in our own groups of people, with people that we're comfortable with. God used him to overcome the barrier of ethnicity to become a bridge of healing for everyone in the room. And it was powerful. And it was a holy moment. And that is our heart as a church, to be wounded healers together, a family of wounded healers. Are you in? You want to be one? That's his invitation for us. So how do we live this out? How do we become a wounded healer? I want to give you a couple ideas of how we can do this. Allow God to use your journey of healing as a source of healing for others. This is our definition of a wounded healer, friends. You can be one. When someone looks up wounded healer in the dictionary, let them find your name because that's God's destiny for your life is to become someone like this. Read the Reclaiming Vulnerability blog on our Church Center app. I had the privilege of writing this blog for our app uh, or our blog recently. And um, I wanted to invite you to read it because vulnerability is necessary for being a wounded healer. We have to share about the reality of our life. We have to allow Jesus to work, to tell us everything we've ever done so that he can work with even the dark places. And so vulnerability feels risky. It feels like something we don't want to do. But how do we reclaim it? How do we use it as a part of being a wounded healer? You can find out by reading that blog. You can find it on the Church Center app. And then last thing is practice the reclaim cycle. Roger gave us this in week one as something that God did to restore Adam and Eve. Now, just like David talked about in our worship, how we, we, we don't just sing songs to God. We sing with God for each other. This is a reclaim cycle that God doesn't just want to use with us. He wants us to use it with others as wounded healers. So as a wounded healer, we can offer our presence. We can show up and just be fully present, broken, but beloved. Healing and offering healing to other people. Show up. As we have proximity to people, as we spend time with them, as we get close with them and find out stories in their life, we can bring the gospel to them. Then we remember We don't forget the dark parts of our life. We actually allow God to use those spaces to shine his light. The hope of healing that we have, we can offer to everyone else. But you have to be willing to remember your brokenness and how he healed you so you can offer that. And that is an act of love, isn't it? Going through this process to unconditionally love someone else, this helps us reclaim our identity in Jesus. As we spend our time going back into a time of singing and worship, I want you to think about something. Jesus met the woman at the well in the midst of her shame, right in the middle of it, broke all of her shame barriers, changed her reputation to become a wounded healer, to become the first messenger of the gospel, and we are here because of it. He wants to do the same thing with you. As, we were, as I was preparing this message, I, I asked David to prepare a song called The Table. And I thought this would be a perfect way of ending this series because it's this idea of how we can feel shame like we don't belong at the table, like we don't have a place there because of our brokenness. But God says, I have a place at the table just for you. 
And as I was listening to the song, it brought me to tears because I thought, how often do I not feel like I have a place at the table? And God speaks that over me. Maybe that's you today. Let him speak that over you. Would you stand with me? Father, we welcome your presence in this place. We thank you for reclaiming our identity in you. We wrestle with the places where we feel broken, so often disqualified. We're not welcome at your table. But the truth is, you welcome us with open arms. You want to equip us and heal us so that we can bring healing to others. So may we believe that hope. May we believe that we can live our lives on the other side of shame, that we can overcome it. If you could overcome the grave, then we can overcome shame by the power of the Holy Spirit. So may we believe this truth. May we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that message. I want to encourage you to reach out. You belong to God, so you belong to this community. And we want to get you plugged in. So be sure to fill out a Connect card on our Church Center app or on our website so that we can do that. I hope you have a moment this week where you come and meet Jesus face to face and he not only unsticks you or or moves you forward from your shame, but transform your shame barriers into uh, something for his glory and his purpose. So have a super blessed week and we will catch up with you really soon. See ya.